This morning I want to preach, I want to preach city on a hill. I want to preach city on a hill. These are Jesus' words to his disciples as he calls them up onto a mountain and says, I'm, I'm about to shift some atmospheres. I'm about to do some amazing things. And he's telling his disciples, I know the culture around you is godless. I know that the politicians are leading in a way contrary in many ways to the word of God. But these are Jesus' words in that culture to his disciples. And he says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As I was researching this phrase, city on a hill, you are the light of the world city on a hill. I, I, I came across, and I understand that Labor Day, and this is Labor Day weekend. If you're, if you're watching this a little bit later, I understand that this may be time sensitive, but it's Labor Day weekend. I understand that Labor Day weekend isn't necessarily Memorial Day, or it's not necessarily the 4th of July, but, but it is in some ways an American holiday. And, and so I'm just going to tell you for a, for a moment, I'll get back to the scriptures, but for a moment, you may not be getting the word of God. You may be getting Pastor Doug's opinion. And so when I give you my, my opinion, I'm not afraid to share my opinion sometimes, but sometimes I think it's important for preachers to say, this is my opinion. I just want to talk about our nation for a few moments. Is that all right? Yeah. I, I started to do a little bit of research in this phrase, city on a hill. Obviously, it's the words of Jesus but there was a governor, it was the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in the 1600s. His name was John Winthrop, and he preached a message that had this phrase in it. And many early Americans began to adopt it and take it a little bit as a mantra. I want to I read you this governor's words. He stood before people and he said, now, the only way to avoid this shipwreck, he was on a ship as he was preaching this message. That's a pretty good illustrated sermon. And to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. For this end, we must be knit together in this work as one man. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supply of each other's necessities. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness, gentleness, patientness, liberality. We must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own. Rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission and community and the work as members of the same body. So shall we keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, the Lord, I want you to put yourself in the position of an early colonist that was on that ship that was hearing these words for the first time, leaving everything that was familiar and forming a new society. As your governor says these words, the Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people who will command a blessing upon us in all our ways so that we shall see much more of his wisdom, power, goodness, and truth than formerly we have been acquainted with. 
we shall find that the God of Israel is among us with ten, and ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies. And when he shall make us a praise and glory that men shall say of succeeding communities, may the Lord make it like that of New England, except for the patriots. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. Y'all, how... Y'all, how about if your governor preached that to you? Please hear me. I understand that our past is complicated. I'm not going to pretend that every single one of our founding fathers had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They didn't. I'm not ignoring the parts in our history that I'm embarrassed of and ashamed of. But there is no doubt. Listen, read the original words. Our country was founded upon the word of God and upon following Jesus Christ. It just was. And I've sat in the classes I've sat in the classes with Harvard-educated professors that told me as a 19-year-old, no, it wasn't. I've sat in those classes, and they told me that our country wasn't founded, and it was, it was this, and it was that, and it was... And I started to read for myself. Can I encourage you, read for yourself. Read for yourself. Go back to the original documents and read what was written out of not some Harvard professor's interpretation of. Still on my opinion here, just for the record. This whole whole cancel culture thing is, is demonic. Here's why. Because... Jesus doesn't cancel Jesus doesn't cancel people. Jesus cancels your sin. But he doesn't cancel people. What if that what if cancel culture was extended to you? Ain't none of us would be in this room. None of us. Jesus Jesus doesn't cancel things. He re, he redeems things. Again, I'm not ignoring, were there horrible injustices in our nation's history done, quote, in the name of God? Yes, there were. We acknowledge it. We don't ignore it. We repent of it and we receive forgiveness and we move forward in a spirit of unity. And, and we go back to, we go back to our foundation and we say we want to be a city on a hill. And so again, just my opinion, but I would call our governors and our mayors and our politicians to read the original documents of the founding of our nation and to return in many ways to the biblical principles that our nation was founded on and to be that city on a hill. But can I tell you, Multiply Church, even... I, so So will the United States of America do that? I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. But even if the United States doesn't, we will. We will. This church will. This city. We will be that city on a hill. We we will be the light. Because let's just be honest here. Jesus' words, let's be really honest. Let's let's, the whole whole gamut. Jesus' words weren't necessarily to the United States of America, but they were to us. 
They were to us. They were to followers. They were to disciples of Jesus. And so even if the United States as a, as a national entity does not do this, we will. And we have a responsibility to be the light of the world in order to do this. Let me give you things right out of this passage of scripture. I'm away from my opinion. If you didn't like my opinion, that's okay. We can all love Jesus together. Come on, everybody say amen. I'm going to preach now. The church of Jesus Christ becomes a city on a hill when number one, one every person every person takes responsibility for being light Jesus says this in verse 14 there's two phrases and if we don't see how these phrases are knit together we'll miss it here watch this in verse 14 Jesus says you individually you are the light of the world and then he says a city on a hill cannot be hidden listen to this it can be easy to look and to place blame upon the corporate entity but Jesus talks about personal responsibility before a city can be a city on a hill what does Jesus say Jesus says you as individuals need to be individual lights and as individual lights come together it becomes to form the corporate entity of the city does that make sense and so when people say something like the corporate entity when people say something like like pastor pastor the church should not that anybody said that in the last 18 months but just hypothetically if somebody would say something like pastor the church should what I want to respond with and sometimes I don't but what I want to respond with is just to smile and to nod and to say yes you should because the church is not an organization the church is not an entity. The church is not Pastor Doug. The church is, is you and the church is me. Say, I'm the church. Say, I'm the light. And so as individuals, as we each take responsibility for this, I, uh, I was walking, my, my uh, family and I were walking through downtown Kannapolis this past week. Have you all been to downtown Kannapolis? Kudos, downtown Kannapolis. I mean, and let me be specific. Um, the one street, at least, the one street, and, and we're, we're believing that that's going to have ripple, ripple effect, but ama- an amazing, amazing job, right? The, the stadium and these, the, the ice cream place and coffee shop and, and all of these things, and we were walking through downtown Kannapolis. We got some ice cream, and we're sitting there, and we're walking through the alleyway, and I saw this quote that they put up on the side of the building, and I know that's kind of hard to read, but I, I took it, I wanted to take it at an angle and so you kind of see the newness of the development and the, the ballpark behind the old building there. But it's a, it's a quote from Walt Disney, and it says this, You can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people. I, I really like that. I really like that. It takes people to make the dream a reality. And I started thinking about that as it applies to multiply church that we're, we're thankful, we have some nice facilities, we have some, some nice stuff, but, but it's the people. It's always the, it's always the, the people. From the, from the foundation of our, our history, for 63 years, our church has always been about people. And so as we are individually lights in our, because you, you have access to places that I don't have access to. 
And I have access to places that you don't have access to. So we gather together corporately on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, I'm going I'm to slip in a bonus sermon here. I was going to do this in the introduction. I didn't, but you're going to go ahead and get the bonus content. The 8 o'clock service did not get this. So I want you to feel a little bit superior right here. I wanted to preach. At some point, I might preach a whole message on this called the power of showing up. The power of showing up. Thomas, I started to think, how many times in Scripture did people receive amazing blessings of God? It wasn't like a special day, a special program at church. It wasn't like Christmas or it wasn't like resurrections. They just showed up. I started, thinking about, I started thinking about how Samuel was brought to the temple when he was two years old and he was called of God when he was 11 years old. And so for nine years, he just showed up, just showed up. He was in kids' church for nine years. I started, I started, to, think, I started to think, parents, good job. Like, good job for getting your kids in church this morning. Even when they leave and you ask, what did you learn? And, and they say, I, they show you gummy worms or something. Just know, like, this, that God got in for nine years, for nine years. And I started thinking about the power of showing up and how that the call of God is cultivated in the house of God by mentors of God. And that word, even parents, if your kids are away from the Lord right now, the word that they got here is within them. And I started thinking about David. So David in that culture probably started out as a shepherd when he was around seven years old. And so when your eight-year-old complains about loading the dishwasher today, remind them that at seven they would have been out in the shepherd's field tending sheep. I don't know if it'll work, but you can try it. But David started tending, tending sheep when he was around seven years old. He got called. The oil was poured upon him when he was 12 years old. And you know what he did after he received that calling? You're going to be king. You're going to be royalty. Everybody He's going to come and bow down to you. You know what he did? He went back to tending sheep until he was 17 years old. And so for about 10 years, David just showed up. He just, show, he just showed up. And I, and I started thinking about how sometimes that God is looking for future kings among current shepherds. And, and I wonder sometimes if we don't receive the next stage of our calling because we fail to be faithful in the thing that God has called us to do. And I, I started to think about Joshua. I started to think about Joshua and how the Bible says that when Moses came to the tent of meeting to the prayer meeting, that Joshua, his young aide, would go to the prayer meeting and Moses would leave the prayer meeting, but Joshua stayed at the prayer meeting. He just showed up. He showed up at prayer meeting. And then I started to think about a generation of young leaders who are asking, when is it my time to lead? And maybe God's asking, when are you going to show up at prayer meeting? I'm just asking a couple of questions like this. I want to I wanna preach to, but I won't. <laughs> Because that's a different message. But there's a, there's a power in showing up, church. It's a power in showing up. Like give yourself a pat on the back. To, I say, I show, I, you showed up. You showed up and it doesn't have to be a special. But anytime the word of God is open and you show up in the house of God is a chance for you to get blessed. Is a chance for God to release something in your life. I don't need something special. I just need for the house of God to be open, and I'm going to show. Come on, turn to your neighbor. Tell him to give me six. Give me six. I'm getting off track here. We're the light of the world when we don't hide our light. The Bible says, neither do people light a lamp and place it under a bowl. 
Sometimes the darkness in this world can make us want to hide our light. I've shared this story before, but in the late 1800s, Vincent Van Gogh was in an asylum. He was walking through mental illness, and he would go out onto his balcony at night and paint the stars. He wrote to his brother during that time, and he said, and I quote, I feel a tremendous need for religion, so I go outside at night to paint the stars. And as Van Gogh was going through this time of spiritual quest and spiritual searching, I want you to know notice something interesting about the painting you see in the very center of the painting you see a church and I want you to notice that the light is not on in the church and I found it interesting that during the time when Van Gogh was searching for the light that the place that should have had the light didn't have the light and I'm not talking about a building anymore remember what did Jesus say he said you are the light of the world and I started thinking about how many people do I walk among that are going and walking through a spiritual darkness that are walking through loss that are walking through mental illness and am I that light or am I hiding that light am I too afraid to say something am I too afraid to stand up Am I I too afraid that I'm going to be canceled? Or am I standing for truth? Am I standing for righteousness? And am I being the light that God has called me to be? Number three, uh, we are the light of the world. We're that city on a hill. When we ask God to provide platforms, say platforms. We ask God to provide platforms for our light. So then Jesus says, instead, they put it or they put the lamp on its stand. Easterners, see, Easterners didn't use tables and chairs. They sat on the floor, and so they needed tall lampstands in order that the light would be diffused all over the room. We've been praying this. Remember the past couple weeks, we've been praying for God, God, give us platform. God, give us opportunities to share. So we've been praying it like this. God, open doors, open minds, open hearts, open heavens. Last Sunday afternoon, I got two texts in about five seconds of each other. One said, Pastor, I was walking the neighborhood after we prayed that prayer and I got an opportunity to pray, meet and pray with one of my neighbors. And then I got another text five seconds later, pastor, I was at a gas station and I got to have a conversation with somebody, give them a book and have a spiritual conversation. God will answer that prayer, y'all. Keep praying that. God open doors in the name of Jesus. God open minds. God open hearts and God open heavens. He will answer that prayer. God, I believe that not only will God do a work in you, he will then begin to provide a platform for you to share that testimony. Roger, as you come up, I want you to share a little bit. I've asked Roger to share. So this is uh, quite an amazing story and Roger's gonna share it, but God not only has done something pretty amazing in you, he gave you a pretty amazing platform to share that story. Well, I'm, I'm extremely honored to uh, get to speak to my church and uh, get to share with them what the Lord's doing in my life. And uh, so I'm going to share my story of how the Lord Jesus Christ healed me of an uncurable blood cancer. And I'm going to do it as I did it at a national convention in Athens, Georgia, with the company that I work with, and there was a thousand people there, and it was an extreme, when I say extreme, secular event. There was nothing about Jesus there at all, okay? So, so as, I, as I came out on stage, the Lord kept playing a song in my head. Let me tell you about my Jesus. So... They were running behind and everything was, it was just one of those days that it looked like I was getting pushed and pushed. And so 
Uh, so I said to him, I said, if you don't hear anything else I say, I'm going to tell you about my Jesus. So on June the 11th, 2019, I was standing in a lady's yard and my left arm went totally limp and my left side got numb. So as a typical man, what did I do? I, I drove myself to the hospital, okay? <laughs> so, you know, not very smart, obviously. So after every test that you could possibly take, I, I'm not even going to go into all that. This, this, this story could be really long. They decided that I didn't have a stroke, but they found out that my heart was out of rhythm and that my blood was thick. They just said I had a mini stroke because if they can't figure it out, they just, you know, that, that's just what they say. So they sent my blood off to be analyzed, and it was analyzed, so it came back about six weeks later. And uh, the hematologist told me I have an uncurable blood cancer called polycythemia vera, which, I, you know, I couldn't even say it for the first, I don't know how many weeks, really. So from June the 11th to 2019 to December the 20th, 2019, I had too many strokes, uh, two heart ablations, two cardioversions. They drew 10 plates of blood from me, 10 days in the hospital, two emergency room visits, two urgent care, and diagnosed with an uncurable blood cancer disease. So you guys think that your 2020 was bad? How about 2019? I'm going to just tell you, that was, a, that was a challenging year. So let's fast forward to 2021, and I went for my monthly blood draw. And what they do is they take a little bit of blood from me, and they check it and check the numbers. And so when I was going into my appointment that day, I felt like the Lord telling me, I've got this. So when I got there, they, they did their little test. I had to have no blood draw at all that day. So I felt the, the Lord saying to my spirit, I have healed you. Remember, uncurable blood cancer. So the next Sunday at church during our praise and worship time, one of our pastors said, is anyone needing prayer for sickness or healing or whatever it be? So let me tell you guys, I put both of my hands up. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to ask to be healed at all. You know, I, I, I didn't do this in the first service, but... I was healed of cancer when I was 27. So during that story, the Lord downloaded all that in me and gave me a lot of, gave me, a, I didn't have much faith at first, but I started to get a little more. So as, uh, so he said that, so I raised my hand. So as soon as I raised my hand, the Lord said, put your hand down. I told you I took care of that. So I told no one this. I didn't speak this to anyone. So the next Sunday at church, the pastor did the same thing. So I didn't put my hand up. So then my wife, she's over here nudging me, saying, what are you doing? So I explained to her what had happened the week before. So the following week in my, in my wife's prayer time, the Lord gave her a scripture to share with me. It was John 9, 1 through 3. And if you know anything about my wife, she is a behind-the-scenes praying woman. You know, I'm, I am so, so thankful for her. So it was John 9, 1 through 3, and a lot of you guys know this, but basically it was when the disciples asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it for his sin or his family's sin? 
Jesus said, neither had sinned, nor the family, nor him. It was so the glory of the Lord could be revealed in his life. So that was another confirmation of the Lord Jesus Christ healing me. It's been nine months since I've had a blood draw. Now, 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 let me just say this to you. It's the crazy part. I asked the doctor the last time that I was in to get a blood draw, which was August the 6th. And he said, I think your gene might be dormant now. I was like, what did that mean? You know what I mean? So there is, no, there is nothing to do with that. So, so I have, uh, so the following Sunday, I shared this with my kids at lunch. And I told them about the scripture that their mother had gave me. And my son looked up at me and said, Dad, that's the same scripture that I gave you back in December. And if you know anything about me, I don't erase much from my phone. You know, I'm the guy that's got the email from 2014, you know what I mean? So, so I looked back at my phone, and there it was, John 9, 1 through 3. I mean, that's just, you know, just another confirmation. There's only 1 in 100,000 people get this disease, and if it goes undetected, you only live 18 months. So I've outlived that one, so I know the Lord's got plans for me when I say that. So... So as I close, I've got one last story. I shared this with a guy that I work with, and he asked me to share it with another agent that she had cancer. So this is, this is what I'm doing at this secular event that I'm at. So uh, before I called her, I said, Lord, what in the world can I say to this lady? I don't really know her. I want to encourage her. He said, just asked her to tell you her story so I'm sitting in my car got my speakerphone on and I said Donna just share with me your story so she did and the Lord downloaded a story in scripture that I don't even know where it is I didn't even know I didn't even really know the story so basically he said tell her as Moses hands grew tired just when, uh, so he had to have Aaron and her to hold his hands up. That's a sign of intercessor prayer. I kind of figured that out later after I Googled where that scripture was, okay? So when I say that. So just as your son and your family held your hand up when your faith wasn't strong enough, Donna, I'm going to hold your hands up while, while, the, while the Lord is going to heal you of this. So... Um, so hang on that was on a Thursday the Lord just keeps confirming things to me I, you know maybe I don't really understand all that but after praise and worship time Pastor Doug says turn to Exodus 17 8 through 14 that's the story you can go look at it and I was like wow what a mighty mighty God we serve so as I closed at conference, I called these two ladies on stage. And when I called them up there, I asked everybody else to stand and extend their hands. And we prayed for healing over their body in a secular conference that was nothing about the Lord. So basically, 
talking about platforms while I just showed up and the, and the Lord did the rest. Thank you. Here's what I want you to see from this story. Number, number one, a couple of things. Aren't you thankful that God still heals? Come on, aren't you thankful that God, he is our, he is our healer. Second thing is, pastor, how do I be a light? How do I be a light? You don't need this platform. God's already given you a platform. Because what Roger didn't say about his story, like, yeah, he was on a platform in front of a thousand people, in front of a conference, and got to preach to him, and got to share his story, and got to pray. But what you may not know is Roger's been doing that all his life, one-on-one. You can't play basketball with, with Roger without him talking to somebody about Jesus. You can't have coffee. You can't be on a sales call that Roger, each and every day of his life, just says, God, help me to be a light and whatever platform, whatever platform I'm on. Come on. How are we going to be a city on a hill when each of us individually use the platform? God has given you a platform and it's not a primarily a platform for your success. It's a platform of significance so that you can share your story, your testimony. You may not know the exegesis of Exodus 17 about the significance of how Aaron and her lifted up Moses' hands and be able to put together a three-point alliterated sermon but you can tell your story and you can say this is look I don't know about all that I just know I just know that I was lost and now I'm found I know that I was blind but now I see I know that I had cancer but I don't anymore I know that my marriage was on the rocks but Jesus healed my marriage like you've got a testimony and I believe like never before God is going to open a platform for you to share your testimony with somebody else if you'll ask him to this is this is the final thing. I didn't prep him for this. Thomas, I need you and your phone. Can you hop up on stage and like there's a, the flashlight feature on your phone. Can you go ahead and turn that on? And I didn't tell the media guys this, but in just a moment, can you give me, can you black out the stage? All right. So let me read, let me read this scripture. So one more thing on like how to be, how to be a light. We live, we become a city on a hill when we live for our light to be shown before others. And I want to draw your attention to that word before, because I think it's really significant. And this is right out of the Bible, 15b, 16a of Matthew chapter 5. And it gives light to everyone in the house. So that would be like the people in the house, the people in church. In the same way, let your light shine before others who are the others the others are people that you work with your co-workers people that you go to school with people in your neighborhood so it's not only let your light shine in the house of God it's let your light shine in the marketplace but it says let your light shine where before right everybody say before all right so can you guys go ahead and dim the them the lights do you know the chords well enough to play in the dark we'll just if you get off it's it's all right um but oh, I, I hit it and it it has my my phone still has a 
home button. It's an iPhone 7, and so I get real frustrated. It's things that don't have a home button. I don't even know how to turn it on, and I yell at my kids, what's going on with this newfangled gadget? But like, if, if Thomas is in a dark place in his life, and if I've got light, there's two ways that I can approach this, right? I can approach it like this, real loud and boisterous. Look at me. I've got the answers. Why is everybody, why is everybody so dark? I don't, get the, I don't get the darkness and start getting mad at all the darkness and yelling. And, but, but that light for Thomas isn't helpful. It's annoying because me telling him how much light I have, if my light is just glaring in his face, it doesn't help him, does it? So, so Jesus says this, in the same way, let your light shine where? That's different, isn't it? It's different, isn't it? That if Thomas is walking through a dark season, that I come beside Thomas and I say, Thomas, I, let me share my story about what Jesus did for me when I was walking through a season of worry or anxiety. Or when I say, when I was walking through a struggle at my job, this is what Jesus did for me. And the light shines before, before. Thank you. Y'all give Thomas a hand and you can turn the lights up before, 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 <laughs> before he. <laughs> do, you see, do you see the difference? Same light, same light. How many of you would say this morning, just God, in my, in my, on my platform, because you all have a platform. Your job is your platform. Your home is your platform. Your school is your platform. How many of you would say, God, help me to be a light in my platform? If that's you, would you just, would you just go ahead and stand? Can we just take a moment to ask God for that? God, help me to be a light. Would you, just, would you just in some way pray this prayer today? Pray something like this. Father, help me to live boldly for you and to be a light for Jesus. Would you just say those words in your own words, maybe just silently, but God, help me to live boldly for you and to be a light for Jesus. And then would you just say, God, give me a platform. It may not be like, like Roger in front of a thousand people, but it might be before one this week. It might be before somebody at a gas station. It might be for my neighbor. Provide a platform for me to show your light to others so that, so that you may be glorified. Because here's the final part of this scripture. It says that we are the light of the world, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So God, that's the final part of our prayer is we say we don't want that to bring glory to us, but we want it to bring glory to you. Honor to you. We want it to be all about Jesus. We want people to see you more clearly. We don't want people to see us more clearly. We want people to see you. Come on, let this be your prayer. That all of our eyes, our eyes are on Jesus. We say Jesus. All glory to God.
about and eyes closed one more time you would say pastor i'm experiencing darkness this morning but the darkness that i'm experiencing is not just around me it's within me because i don't know this light that you're talking about i don't have a personal relationship with jesus christ and i realize today that god has brought people into my life to show me the light but i need the light and so if that's you today you would say pastor my heart is dark my mind is dark and i don't want it to be dark in sin anymore i want it to light up with the life of Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just pray a prayer that says something like this? Just cry out to him and say, Jesus, say, I'm done with the darkness. I don't want the darkness anymore. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. And I believe that Jesus is the light of the world. And I ask that light to come into my heart come into my life so that I can live wide awake and fully alive to the love of Jesus. God, light up somebody's heart right now. We curse the darkness and we command it to flee. I curse it away from your mind in the name of Jesus and multiply church. I bless us collectively to be a city on a hill. I bless us to be a city on a hill, but we can only be a city on a hill to the degree that we are individual lights. And so I bless you to be a light on the platform that God has provided you and to shine brightly so that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you receive that, can you give the Lord one more shout of praise in the house today?